Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Ah! Right here on 960theref.com. You heard the man. This is the crossover. Sam Franco, Chris Bram, along with you. A little morning show home team flavor as this is our newest podcast venture here on 960theref.com. As uh, myself and Brain will take you through UGA, Atlanta, anything that we want to talk about in sports. Brain, how are you doing today? Not too bad. And, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time. I know we've got, what are we, 100-something days now until, uh, until kickoff. So Georgia football is never on the back burner, but I guess it kind of is now for a couple of months, unfortunately. You hope, because now it's like any news generally is like bad news or right. a guy getting arrested or something. So Well, I mean, you had the Deontay Dimery thing happen – right after g-day so i mean that was something that already as you mentioned there anything that happens between like g-day and summer slash fall practices starting up is usually bad news yeah and you had that come right after g-day and, you know usually like demery's not even here yet so he you know a lot of times you worry about the guys that have been practicing for the spring and it's g-day and then they go downtown and they want to blow off some steam and relax and have a good time but you know, I don't know what he was doing. But, yeah, unfortunately, uh, not a lot of people do, but Georgia acted very swiftly there to remove him from, not necessarily the roster, but remove him from his letter of intent. So he's not even going to be coming there. I'm sure the first person that contacted Kirby Smart after that was Ken Blankenship to say, hey, you got a scholarship freed up now for my boy, right? Yeah, yeah, but his boy missed, what, two field goals during G-Day and an extra point? Yeah, that one he stoinked off the upright. That's uh, not a good sign there. But uh, you mentioned G-Day, so we'll go ahead and, and dive into what we saw during G-Day. And first and foremost, obviously the thing that people are paying the most attention to, maybe outside of the offensive line. And for guys like you and I, we can't even necessarily pay attention to the offensive line unless there's a big pancake block down the field or something like that. You can really only gather offensive line efficiency based on the running totals, based on how many sacks you allow and things like that. So the one thing that people were looking at right off the bat is Jacob Eason versus Jake Fromm. And if you're looking at just the way they performed in this game, Fromm was much better than Jacob Eason in this game. Eason threw 20 incompletions. There were a lot of overthrows, some inaccuracy. It was kind of a lot of the same things we saw last year. Right, but you know, going back to the offensive line, it was a lot of the same things I saw last year, and that was one thing I noticed was Eason was under a ton of pressure in the portion of the game that uh, that I watched. And you're right, what, the, the part of the game I watched, I did not watch the whole thing start start to finish. But, yeah, Fromm looked pretty good, and Eason, quite frankly, did not look very good. But um, Eason was playing against the first-team defense, and Fromm wasn't. I mean, Fromm was throwing passes to guys that were being covered by walk-ons. Right. So, uh, you know, Fromm's a five-star, too, just like Eason was, and, and I hope and think that he's going to be very good. We've all seen his, his highlight packages coming out of high school and, uh, and whatnot, but I just, you know, I, I think that the – 
you know, the, the idea that there's some sort of a quarterback derby or battle going on here, I think, is a bit of a of a, of a folly. Like I, a there media a creation. Yeah, or maybe, I mean, not even necessarily media, but I think even maybe in the minds of, of some fans. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there are some members of the media that you've seen. I mean, there was one guy, which is, is it uh, Dan Wolken, I think, that I saw yes. tweeted something out about how uh, – uh, an anonymous coach told me that he doesn't like Eason and he loves Jake Fromm. And like, I, I mean, I, 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 I agree. Like Eason didn't blow me away last year um, as much as I hoped that he would have wanted to do, but maybe that's my problem and not his, but, um, but when did he all of a sudden turn into a bust? Right, and I, I, it's funny because he was a freshman last season starting, not the entire season because he didn't start a North Carolina game, but essentially the entire season, and he had his ups, he had his downs, and one thing that I've talked to some people about it, and Coach Donnan kind of uh, has told us this a bunch, is that accuracy is something that is very hard to consistently approve, improve upon. So if Eason's going to be inaccurate, that's fine. He's just got to hit on more big play opportunities that he misses because that's the kind of quarterback he is. He's not going to be a West Coast dink and dunk quarterback. He's going to rely on the running game to space out the defense and then hit on some play actions, hit on some deep passes. Right. Well, I mean, I think some of the, you know, when if he's throwing incomplete passes, I mean, how much of it was when he was being pressured and if he has more time to throw and go through his progressions and find that open guy. I mean, that's, those are the things. And, you know, going back even to the very last game of the season – and just that the image that's burned in my mind from the Liberty Bowl is seeing Sony Michelle basically standing wide open out in the flat, waving his arms, right. and Eason throws one to it was like to Nauda or Blazevich, one of the tight ends over the middle who was covered, and you know the ball got batted down, and yet basically an easy touchdown, and that was something that he did going all the way back to the Nichols game, missed a guy that would have been an easy touchdown. So that last game of the season, he still. Uh, you know, he still was was learning that, and you know, those are little things that you hope end up uh, getting touched up. But the other, the fact that I feel he, last year he played behind what is arguably the worst offensive line we've seen at Georgia maybe ever. Oh yeah, um, uh, with a, a, a below average receiving core. Now the running backs with Chubb and Michelle were certainly above average, but Michelle was hurt for the first couple of games, and then. I know Chubb tweaked his ankle in the Ole Miss game, so he felt like none of those guys were ever really 100% for him. Yeah, and I think one thing we're going to see this season is there's going to be a lot of pressure on two guys involved with the Georgia offense. Jim Chaney calling the plays and Jacob Eason as the quarterback. And the reason I think so is because if you look at the skill positions on this Georgia team, you look at the running backs. I mean, you've got Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, and during G-Day, Elijah Holyfield and Brian Herrian looked pretty good, and that's still without DeAndre Swift coming in as a recruit who is also supposed to be a very good player and impact this team maybe as a freshman, maybe not so much in the run game, but maybe more in the return game if he's given the opportunity there. You look at the tight ends who, again, weren't super involved during G-Day, which is a little concerning just because Georgia has three outstanding tight ends in Isaac Nauta, Jeb Blazevich, and Jackson Harris, and those guys should be more involved on the offense. And then you look at the receiving core, where Jason Stanley had a pretty good G-Day. I thought uh, Holloman had a really good G-Day. Nicole Hardman is a guy who's probably going to be used more on offense, at least for this season, out of need. So it seems, and, and that's not, it not or that's trying to include as well Terry Godwin and uh, Riley Ridley. So it seems like, in theory, Georgia, at the skill positions, wide receiver, tight end, and running back, should have a lot of weapons. So that's going to put a lot of pressure 
on Eason and Cheney to get this offense rolling and to win a division that is going to be down, it looks like, yet again. Yeah, I mean, that's which has been the story for the last couple of years, and Georgia hasn't been able to find its way to uh, to the division title. You've had the, the Missouri's gone or even Florida two years in a row, so McIlwain's been there two straight seasons, and he's been there uh, two years in a row. But, you know, I mean, you're yeah. What I, what I hope for Georgia down the line, though, too, is that we can talk about them being the favorite in the East, but having it more to do with Georgia and less to do with the fact that, well, you know, the rest of the division stinks and Georgia's got Chubb and Michelle coming back. So they seem from a personnel standpoint like the best option. Yeah, it's like the old saying, you know, in the man to the blind, the man with one eye is king. And that's almost kind of like what this division has been. It's like, okay, of all these blind teams, who can be the one that has the one eye and come out and win and be on top? And if you look at the division, I totally agree with you. Right now, if Georgia, say 2017, Georgia wins the SEC East, it would probably be a little bit of both that Georgia was the team that should have won it, but also there wasn't really anybody else making a lot of noise. But hopefully going forward, they are they are winning it on their own merits as opposed to not off the backs of other teams struggling. But looking at it for this season, Florida has graduated most of Will Muschamp's defensive recruits. And that was what was carrying this Florida team really the last two seasons because the offense has struggled. So there's a lot of pressure on Jim McElwain this year to get his offense rolling. You look at Tennessee, they lose Josh Dobbs. That's going to be very big for them in terms of replacing him. So those two teams continue to be down. South Carolina might be on the uptick. Kentucky might be on the uptick. And then Vanderbilt, people joke when I say something like Vanderbilt's a team you have to watch out for. They beat Georgia and Tennessee last season. And lost to Florida by, it was less than a touchdown or maybe a touchdown. Right. But it was a one-possession game. Mm-hmm. They lost to Florida. And they skunked Tennessee. Um, and that know, was because the offense had improved. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Vandy is how much of the, the strides that they made on offense in November – what was reality? Because then in the bowl game against NC State, they when they gave the championship of life belt to the uh, to the Wolfpack after winning it from the Volunteers, they you know it looked like the same old Vandy offense. But you know now they got to replace Zach Cunningham too, who maybe the Falcons will draft. But That's right. um, the uh, but yeah, I think with Derek Mason there, Vandy's going to have a legitimate uh, defense. But I, I know, I mean, that's but that again, that says more about the SEC East overall than I think it says about Vandy suddenly becoming. A power. It's like, I mean, would it bl- blow my mind if I saw them win the division? I, I guess not. But it would be shameful for Georgia, Florida, and I'll even throw Tennessee in there if that actually did happen. Oh yeah, there would be a lot of athletic directors certainly uh, turning some uh, side eyes to their head coaches if Vanderbilt were to win the SEC East. But again, that is a a pipe dream. I think more than anything, teams like Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and maybe even South Carolina will impact who wins the SEC East, but they themselves won't be teams that actually are contending for it. Yeah, as teams that aren't necessarily easy outs for Georgia, Florida, and uh, you know maybe even Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee now comes into this season for me as you know that that interesting squad you see from time to time where they you know they stumbled last year and failed to live up to those lofty expectations, and now everyone will pretty much just write them off. Uh, but I know they like the two quarterbacks that they've got that battled out this spring, Guarantano and then Quentin Dormady. I mean, Dormady was like 10 for 10 passing in their uh, in their spring game, and Guarantano was a highly rated recruit too, I think, from New Jersey. 
who uh, who they really like uh, as well. But you know they're going to replace some guys on defense, obviously, namely Derek Barnett, who's going to go in the first round. I mean, that's with Tennessee. Look now, I mean, I think it's I don't think they've had anyone picked. Period. Anyone picked in the NFL draft for the last two seasons, mm-hmm. and that's obviously going to change coming up this weekend. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, Derek Barnett will go, and then. Obviously, there will be some other guys on that team. There's Alvin Kamara, another guy that yeah, we'll Kamara will go high, and I, you know, I think Reeves, Maben, their linebacker, will get drafted at some point. Cam Sutton might eventually get drafted, although you know, getting hurt last year definitely hurt his stock. And I think, I mean, Dobbs will get drafted by somebody. Oh yeah, and but. that's the thing too with like the SEC. We were looking at uh, prop bets earlier, and it's like. Look, in terms of the prop bet of which conference is going to have the most players drafted, not just in the first round, but overall, it's not even worth it unless you know, you're know you placing loads of money because you're going to have to place loads of money to win anything if you're betting on the SEC, which is going to be the conference that has the most players drafted. The crazy number, though, and I was that I'm racking my, my brain about, though, is over under 10 and a half. No, not, it's not even 10 and a half. It's 11 and a half play. No, it is 10 and a half in the first round. And I've, I mean, I'm only counting like seven, I think, sure things. Right. I mean, obviously you have Miles Garrett. You have um, Jonathan Alabama Allen. players, Jonathan Allen. Uh, you have Reuben Foster. And Foster might slip a little bit, but he's still going to go. I'm hoping that the do- he slips to the Dolphins. Um, Derek Barnett, of course, is a fourth. Mm-hmm. Uh, O.J. Howard, I think, is pretty yeah, solid. Yeah, he'll go number five. Sure, yeah. Um, but, no, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. Like, 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 that's a big number to think about. But you look at, you know, oh, Leonard Fournette. Fournette's going to be a guy that goes as well. And Jalen Adams. Right. Those are my seven. And then you've got maybe like Charles Harris and Zach Cunningham that are toward the end of the first round that could go either way. Well, which... Harris is a player right now that's being rumored that the Falcons want to swap with the Seahawks to move up to get him. Oh, really? Yeah, so that could be one that you add in there as well. So that's why Vegas is so good at this because you keep thinking about it and you, another name pops in there. So that 10.5 might, you know, if Kamara, for example, were to be a guy that maybe sneaks in. Well, the Kamara would be one, round. but when you start getting to the end there, that's and then Cam Robinson, I guess, potentially could be iffy. You know, Marlon Humphrey from Alabama, another guy. I don't know. To me, I think there's seven, like, guarantees, and, and then, then that leaves iffies. you where you need four more to hit the over there. Yeah, so, I mean, there, there's plenty to look at with the SEC, and we'll get into the NFL draft here uh, a little bit later on uh, in this edition of the Crossover Podcast. The First ever edition of the crossover here on 960theref.com. But but getting back to Georgia and, and getting back to G-Day, one thing that you don't see from G-Day, obviously, other than when they paraded them out onto the field and introduced them, were the recruits that are going to be coming in in the summer, the guys that weren't early enrollees, your Notori Johnsons, your Isaiah Wilsons, your DeAndre Swifts, and, and those guys are going to be very important in terms of the competition because a lot of the offensive linemen and and it's been this spring a revolving door as uh, coach smart has said in terms of testing out guys at different positions and Georgia has some holes on the line that are going to need to be filled with some of these young guys so does a guy like an Isaiah Wilson come in and make a play for a starting job Notori Johnson does he do it so there's plenty of, of competition on the line and and so a lot of these guys in spring right now are hoping that they did enough to impress and have that little bit of a head start on the guys that will be coming in. Well, for most of the spring, Kirby seemed to talk about how that uh, that offense and that first-team offensive line was getting the better of Georgia's defensive front. Now, mm-hmm. I saw the opposite on Saturday at uh, G-Day. Yeah, so no. maybe that was just uh, you know they, were, they had a bad day or something compared to the rest of these spring practices. But you know, from, from what I saw, Saturday, there's opportunity for those freshmen to come in and, and have an impact and definitely play 
this uh, you know this season. And that's why I took for me. I took a lot of what Kirby was saying. Maybe is more he was trying to send messages to those freshmen, like you know, don't get cocky that you're just going to come in here and automatically have these jobs. You've got to be prepared to work and fight for them. But you know, then when I watched the spring game Saturday, it looked like, boy, the offensive line really didn't look any different than it did last year, though. Yeah, so for now, between uh, this time where spring practice is over and before you know summer practice and, and workouts start and then fall camp starts, you just got to keep your fingers crossed that you don't hear about anybody on the blotter, you don't hear about guys uh, getting into trouble, and, and also you hope that a Jonathan Ledbetter gets back in and gets himself reestablished because – that's a very important piece on the defensive side of the ball for Georgia, a defense that should be pretty good next year. You know, you have a, a, a veteran a veteran front. You have veterans in the linebacking core. You had the returns of Davin Bellamy and Lorenzo Carter, and that should be huge in that regard. And, and you're thankful on G-Day as well that there weren't really many injuries. I know DeAndre Baker got banged up a little bit on one play, but outside of that – there wasn't really anything to be worried about. So you look at all those things and you just hope that George is able to keep the nose of the grindstone, so to speak, stay focused and hope that when these other uh, recruits come in, that they're able to push some players and, and, and create that competition even more. And then you just hope that everything lines up for that Appalachian State game, which is not an easy game to start the season. No, Georgia's going to find itself in the same position Tennessee was in last year. You know, basically, I'm uh, the the favorite to win the SEC East, opening with a dangerous App State team, and Tennessee was sitting there trailing at the half and ended up getting. Uh, you know, Dobbs was reaching into the end zone, fumbled that ball, and Jalen Hurd jumped on it for a touchdown. If uh, App State had recovered that thing, that's a huge swing in that game that probably leads to Tennessee losing there in uh in week one but you know the thing is is Tennessee survived that game but ultimately it was not a great sign for them moving forward as this team was preseason top 10 and considered the favorite in the east I don't think Georgia's going to be preseason top 10 they'll probably be somewhere in like the 15 to 20 range but I do think Georgia's going to be in the position as the preseason favorite in the uh in the SEC so a strong showing against Appalachian State would definitely be encouraging yeah and I mean Tennessee should have lost to App State should have lost to Virginia Tech should have lost to Georgia I mean there were a lot of problems for that team last season and hopefully Georgia gets off to a strong start and doesn't have that same kind of lingering effect from a game like that going forward we'll talk plenty more about Georgia football in the coming weeks here on the crossover but we'll jump now to the NFL draft which as we will be posting this on Thursday morning starts tonight uh, for those of you out there listening and it's funny because the first round, they're in Philadelphia this year, so some of the prop bets are really funny, like who gets the loudest boos for a team drafting in the first round. I think the Cowboys are the favorite there because there's going to be a bunch of Eagles fans, obviously. Uh, how long does Roger Goodell get booed? I think this over-under for that was set for 12 and a half seconds. Uh, so there's obviously those kind of things, and it's funny because it's in Philadelphia. We all know how uh, rowdy those fans can be up there. They've set up the stage like right there on the Rocky Steps. Yeah, I, I noticed uh, now with Roger Goodell getting booed. Is that just in at one continuous moment or total for the whole time? Because Roger Goodell's going to get booed Thursday every time he walks onto that stage. Well, I think the, the prop bet was set for the first time he walks up to say that the 2017 draft is underway. The uh, Cleveland Browns are on the clock. Okay, you know? because he's going to get booed 
32 times. Oh, absolutely. Every single time that guy <laughs> yeah. walks up to the podium, he's going to get booed. So are they going to be sitting there with a stopwatch every time he walks up? It's going to be way over 12 seconds. Oh, I mean, Because sure. it's going to be at least 32 seconds. If you just He's going to get booed for one second every time he appears. No, but that first time is definitely going to be the longest one. And if I were a Browns fan and they took Mitchell Trubisky – with and then I keep saying Mitch because that's what he's been, and then I love it when guys trying to change their name like that. Right. It's like, no, you're Mitch. Well, but. his mom named him Mitchell, and that's what he wants to be called now. <laughs> so yes, Mitchell Trubisky. I'll say this: there's no way the Browns take him at one. That's got to be Garrett. But then there's this talk that the Browns want to or have wanted to move in to earlier in the first round from the 12th pick that they also have to try and get Trubisky because they favor him over Watson. And my main question and all that is why. Like, why do they favor Trubisky over Watson when Trubisky played 13 games, Watson took Alabama to the limit once and then beat them the second time? It just seems like when you're leveraging your future on a draft pick that there's not a really big difference between the two guys. Why would you give up other picks to move up to take a guy that you could probably get Watson at 12? That It's been months, and it's made no uh no sense to me where uh, where where Trubisky's come from, and even if you want if you want to put a lot of stock into workouts and and what guys do at the combine, I mean Trubisky and and Watson ended up having similar combine mm-hmm. performances, and it's not you know so Watson is at six two, I guess he'd be considered a bit undersized, but Trubisky's six foot two, so they're the same height. They basically had the same. Uh, workout numbers at the combine. I have no idea what it is, and they played in the same conference. And obviously, Watson was w- way more impressive in college than Trubisky was. Yeah, and Watson might have had better talent around him, and that's fine. But Deshaun Watson, I think the big knock on him is inaccuracy. But you know, that's something that obviously we've seen that with a lot of guys coming into the NFL, and and that's something that can be worked on and improved on based on the coaches you work with. I will say this for Deshaun Watson or Mitchell Trubisky. You probably hope the Browns don't take you uh, somehow. You hope you go somewhere else. But I think if you're a Browns fan and you look at the possibility of getting Miles Garrett and then one of those quarterbacks, which, again, I would take Watson over Trubisky, but you've got to feel at least pretty good. I would feel much better if it was Watson over Trubisky, but I guess you got to feel pretty good about things. Well, the Browns have a second pick in the first round. That's what I'm talking 12? about. Well, that's what I was saying there. Yeah. They, they're, 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 they want to get both. Trubisky and Garrett and oh, Garrett I, has to be the number one oh, pick. yeah 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 I thought you were saying they were actually going to move up to maybe get a, a quarterback no they're, they're talking about, about moving up from 12 into like that five or six area to try and get Trubisky oh specifically Trubisky because yes. I mean Watson could be there for him oh or he'll I mean, be there one at 12 could be for him at 12 yeah I don't think Trubisky is around at 12 but I think Watson will be there at 12 yeah maybe I I, I could see the Jets taking a quarterback because uh, they don't have a one right now I think the Jets would take Trubisky if he's available to them but if not they probably jump on Fournette and I hope that's the case I hope Trubisky goes like at five or four so that the the Jets have to take Fournette because the Panthers are sitting there at their pick, and they're in the top ten. I think. Uh, I think. I think they're picking six or seven. Six or seven. Yeah. And if you're a Falcons fan, you don't want any part of Leonard Fournette joining Cam Newton in that backfield. Yeah, I don't know. Fournette is my least favorite of those top-rated running backs, even over He's, McCaffrey. So you take McCaffrey over Fournette? 
Yeah, and my my biggest issue with Fournette is just he's coming off injuries, and yeah. I just guys like that that are that are hurt if they were prone to get hurt in college. Guess what? I got bad news for them. they're probably going to get hurt in the uh, in the NFL too. So I just think he's he's just a big bruising running back that I don't know that he's going to hold up as long. And McCaffrey's he can do it all: return kicks, uh-huh. he can catch passes, he can run. I just think he's got that versatility in him that I, I like a little bit more, and I like Dalvin Cook too, of course. And if you're a Panthers fan, I think the prospect of pairing. Christian McCaffrey with Jonathan Stewart, who's still there. Stewart, the more run-between-the-tackles guy. I think that McCaffrey would be a better complement to him. Sure. So you'd have that kind of thunder-and-lightning-style dynamic. But honestly, from thinking from the Falcons' standpoint, I said this the other day, how the Saints signed Adrian Peterson. And if that means that Drew Brees is going to pass the ball less, then I'm all for that. Terrible signing, by the way. Yeah. And, that's brutal. Yeah. And so if, uh, you know, if the Panthers want to draft Leonard Fournette, if that means they're going to, we'll see less Cam Newton, I'll take that as a Falcons fan. Because when I think of the Panthers and I think even still of the Saints, if there's something about the New Orleans Saints, Saints that still scares me, it's Drew Brees throwing the ball. And well, yeah. if Adrian Peterson's going to lead to less of that, then I'm, all, I'm in favor. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's funny with that Adrian Peterson signing. I saw a joke the other day that was like, so Adrian Peterson must have gone to his agent and said, hey, I want to play for a team that isn't a contender and take less money. Can you make that happen? And that's kind of what he did. Because he was, if, if the Vikings had picked up his option, which it would have been the dumbest team in the NFL to do so if they had taken its $18 million option, then, uh, you know, he's going from making like $18 million to like $3 million. So obviously he lost a lot of money. Again, there, the market wasn't going to give him a whole lot anyway, but it's like, I'm going to take a little amount of money and play for a not contender because Adrian Peterson or not, the Saints aren't going to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, they, no. Why, so why would you why would you go there? Like, that was a weird fit, because especially because it was thought about that he was talking to teams like the Bucks, and the Bucks are a much better team going forward into this year, it looks like, than the Saints. Well, it's like Marshawn Lynch ended up uh, better off, and the Raiders ended up better off. Oh, absolutely. Now they've got, they got Lynch, and the Raiders are more of a contender based on what they did last year, and I guess they lost Latavius Murray, too, they in did. free agency. So they actually really did have a need to try and replace a guy there in their uh, in their backfield. You know, plus Lynch is he's from Oakland, so he's yeah. from that part of the country. Perfect so fit. probably will mesh well. But, yeah, Peterson to the Saints is not uh, something that has me um, – too worried about things and before we get out of here on the crossover this uh, first ever episode of the crossover podcast with sam franco and chris brame what do we want to see the falcons do tonight and i think the big thing there is if they stay at 31 you know one of those jabril peppers taco charlton type guys would be great i don't know where those guys are going to go what their stock is you see the diluted samples from uh from jabril peppers and from reuben foster if Reuben Foster were to fall to the Falcons at 31 and they didn't take him, I'd be very upset. That being said, if Reuben Foster did fall to the Falcons at 31, there's a lot of dumb GMs out there because a diluted sample could mean a, a bunch of different things. I think if you're reading between the lines, it's probably that Jabril Peppers and Reuben Foster were smoking some weed and then they tried to dilute their samples before the combine. Again, they had explanations for it, but their explanations were pretty flimsy. Sure, but I mean, it just it goes back to the NFL's relationship with guys who smoke weed compared to guys that get DUIs, batter women, and all these other you know, you know, hardened criminal activities that they do. They don't even think twice about drafting a guy, but for whatever reason, it's the weed guys that slip. So, yes, if, if somehow Reuben Foster was sitting there at 31, the Falcons should absolutely take him because you've like got a, a, pro, a guy that was considered basically a top-ten prospect 
who all of a sudden no longer is. And with Foster Grant, I mean, there was the incident of the Combine, too, where he got sent home because he had an argument with a hospital worker. Yeah. So, I mean, that to me, that's that's maybe more of a red flag than the fact that he probably smokes weed, which I'm guessing quite a quite a quite a few members of the Alabama student body uh, also do. It's, Absolutely, it's pretty much common and well, any culture college. of college. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not just Reuben Foster, and I'll say this too. Can you imagine a linebacking core of Reuben Foster, Deion Jones, and Devondre Campbell? That'd be a pretty darn good linebacking core. I feel like all this being said, though, is kind of a waste just because I don't think he's going to fall at a 31. No, he absolutely will not. In fact, I'll be upset if the Dolphins don't draft him if he's sitting there at like 20 or 21, wherever right. they're picking. But that's where I think Zach Cunningham would be a good fit for Atlantic. Oh, yeah. That's he, another guy as well that would be a very good linebacker. And that's the thing. You don't hear a lot about the Falcons maybe going after a linebacker. You're hearing a lot about the defensive line. And it's like, I feel like if you're Atlanta – he would be more prudent to try to bring Dwight Freeney back for one more year because he says he wants to play another year. So you bring Dwight Freeney back for one more year, then go get that linebacker, then maybe address that next year. Because the way Vic Beasley played with Dwight Freeney on the team, why wouldn't you just want that dynamic back? They were fine going after the quarterback last season, which is something they haven't been for a long time. So you don't necessarily need to draft that player this year. And you could solidify a linebacking core that still needs some help. You have Deion Jones and Devondre Campbell. They're good players. But I think you still need one more piece there. Yeah, because then the, the third spot at linebacker this year was basically a rotation of uh, of Weatherspoon and was, I guess, Warlow. Yeah, Warlow. Was in there, too. But, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I agree with and you. And Weatherspoon was out after, like, week two. Yeah, so. I agree. I mean, cause they, and they did for what it's worth. I mean, uh, granted, I'd never heard of the guy until the Falcons signed up, but they did sign a defensive end from Dallas, too, in free agency, Jack Crawford. Right, and they had Shelby, who... who yeah, that's right, Shelby, who was... So he'll be back this year. Yeah, he'll I mean, be back yeah. because he got hurt, who they signed a year ago from the... The, uh, from the Dolphins so yeah I mean I, I think linebackers definitely in play for Atlanta in this draft and that's why if somehow Cunningham is there I would definitely be uh, uh, I would heartily endorse that pick there's a rumor of maybe trading up to where the Seahawks are around 25 to get Char- uh, Charles Harris the uh, end out of Missouri if you're gonna trade up to 25 I'd much if Reuben Foster's like sitting there I feel like that's the move you made. it's like oh he got past the Dolphins he, he's at 22 23 that's where I would try and move up to there yeah to trade get up a to Reuben Foster or a, a Zach Cunningham even depending on where he's slated to go. yeah trade up to get a guy who was potentially was once upon a time considered a you know it's like a top 10 top 15 pick who now isn't because he had a diluted sample um, I, I would feel the same way about peppers except con- peppers is confusing if you've looked at different mock drafts because I've seen peppers in some mock drafts um, considered like a second or a third round prospect but then like Mel Kuyper had him in the top 15 still yeah, which is very weird but and, and and Dan Quinn has come out and said if they do draft Peppers he'll be a safety is safety really the biggest need compared to linebacker compared to pass rush I feel like safety's kind of far down the list especially with Keanu Neal being drafted and with uh with the guys that they already have there yeah I mean I guess Peppers still strikes me as a guy that you know has some versatility that fits with what Dan Quinn wants to He's do with that Quinn Atlanta player yeah so. I wouldn't be shocked if Atlanta did take him and I mean but again it just boils down to there seems to be amongst the the draft Knicks some disagreement to what kind of a prospect he is but I'm all for drafting the diluted sample and the weed guys who slip in the first round oh, yeah. because there's just uh there's a, a pretty decent history of those guys turning into really good players although if we're going for the all-name team two guys to look out for Forrest Lamp 
the uh, offensive tackle out of Western Kentucky, and Taco Charlton, the defensive end out of Michigan. Well, that'll wrap things up on this edition of the crossover, the inaugural first ever edition of the crossover. We'll keep our fingers crossed the Falcons don't mess this up. And if you're a Browns fan, well, just go ahead and expect that they're going they're to screw mess it this up. up. Yeah. So for Chris Bray, I'm Sam Franco. Make sure to check us out every week here on the crossover right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain on 960theref.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.